The U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan leads some people to worry about Washington's commitment to Taiwan. In today's show, foreign policy expert Professor Hal Brands tells me what he thinks. Natalie talks with the director of sports science for Taiwan's Olympic team about why the country's athletes performed so well at Tokyo 2020. And I quiz Leslie and Stash on fun facts about Team Taiwan. Then I'm going to tell you about PopCat, an online game that's taken Taiwan by storm. This is Taiwan Insider. world's eyes have been on Afghanistan as U.S. forces withdraw from the nation. And this has left some people anxious and wondering how reliable U.S. support for Taiwan is, especially as tensions remain high across the Taiwan Strait. Let's take a look at what China has been doing near Taiwan this week. On August 17th, 11 Chinese Air Force planes entered Taiwan's air defense identification zone. That was the largest Chinese incursion into the zone in August. Taiwan's Air Force dispatched its own jets to intercept the Chinese planes, while surface-to-air missiles on the ground monitored the situation. China's Eastern Theater Command said on social media that the maneuvers were part of military exercises to maintain stability in the Taiwan Strait. It said it was responding to, quote, Taiwanese separatist provocations. The very next day, the Taiwan Air Force reportedly spotted another Chinese plane in Taiwan's ADIZ. Defense Ministry spokesperson Si Sunwen said that the Air Force had its eyes on the situation and was ready to respond as needed. Associate Research Fellow at the Institute for National Defense and Security Research, Su Ziyun, says that Taiwan's recently warming ties with other nations have left China feeling snubbed, and that's why it's ramping up its presence in the region. In response, Taiwan's top China policymaking body, the Mainland Affairs Council, urged China to stop its aggressive behavior. It says that Taiwan cannot be strong-armed into compliance. The threat of a Chinese attack is on the back of many people's minds here in Taiwan, and that's where there's anxiety over the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. People are wondering, would the U.S. withdraw its support for Taiwan when we need it? Well, I spoke with a distinguished professor at Johns Hopkins University. He's a professor of global affairs who has written on this subject, Professor Hal Brands, and I asked him if Taiwan should be nervous. I think it's natural to worry after something like has happened in Afghanistan, and in part because uh, Taiwan's place in the U.S. security architecture is a little bit ambiguous, and the American commitment to Taiwan is itself ambiguous. But what I would say is that I think context is very important here. And so any time the United States suffers a defeat like this, it's natural for allies to question whether uh, American commitments remain intact. But I I think it's worth bearing in mind that one of the reasons the Biden administration was keen on getting out of Afghanistan was to pay more attention to security challenges in the Western Pacific, and specifically to to pay more attention to the security challenges that Taiwan faces. The, The Taiwan issue has really moved to the center of American foreign policy and American defense planning. And so I don't think there's uh, grounds to worry that the withdrawal from Afghanistan will weaken the U.S. commitment to Taiwan over the long term. And what do you think about the Biden policy towards Taiwan so far from what you've seen since he's been in office? 
The Biden policy toward Taiwan has largely been a continuation of the Trump policy toward Taiwan, which really consists of, of two related things. And the first is to increasingly put Taiwan at the center of American defense planning. And, and so to, to push the Department of Defense to think very seriously about how it would come to Taiwan's aid if Taiwan were attacked, given the critical role that Taiwan plays in the first island chain in the Western Pacific. The second way is basically gradually expanding the diplomatic and economic relationship with Taiwan, whether by making it somewhat easier to do high-level visits back and forth, uh, undertaking negotiations to do a potential free trade agreement, or otherwise moving slowly, gradually, but surely in the direction of a somewhat more normal relationship, normal diplomatic relationship between the United States and Taiwan. Now, the whole interview will be up on YouTube and Facebook. And at a recent press conference, when questioned about Taiwan's safety, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said Washington's commitment to Taiwan is as strong as it has ever been. Up next, Leslie Liao and the world of sports in Taiwan. Taiwan just walked away from the Tokyo 2020 Olympics with 12, count them, 12 medals, its best performance at an Olympic Games yet. Now, Natalie spoke with the head of sports science for Taiwan's Olympic team, Professor Xiang Ziyuan, to gain some insight as to what drove Taiwan's best performance ever at an Olympic Games. So, um, 12 Olympic medals, that's more than twice than ever before. Can you tell us why uh, Team Taiwan performed so well this time? I think the major reason is that uh, government support many facilities for the training center. And also, after 2017 the Taipei World University Games, the society in Taiwan recognized the value of sports. So, the, all the athletes and the coaches, they are willing to train and uh, train harder than ever. So, that's why uh, the com uh, performance in this year, to Tokyo Olympic, is much better than previous games. So I did see some footage of how AI is helping the female weightlifters. How much of an edge do you think that technology plays in competition? We use the AI to try to record the movement of the weightlifter. Also, we can track their uh, trajectory of the barbell, so we know their movement is stable or not. So uh, during the training session, we can record every lift the athlete performs. So Guo Xingchun uh, was quite amazing. She broke three Olympic records. Did you expect yeah. her to do that? Yes. Or was uh, it a surprise uh, to you? Guo Xingchun uh, is truly the, the gold medalist for sure. You were expecting her to get a gold? Yeah, yeah. Everybody expects <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, her own personal record is, is uh, better than the Olympic record, right? Well, you know, we're so proud of all the athletes, and we've won in so many new sports. There's six new sports that we medaled in. Why do you think Taiwan was able to branch out and excel in all these new sports? We have judo and, and golf and, you know, all, all these different sports. Those sports are not new sports in Taiwan. Uh, you know, in uh, compared with the Western country, uh, the Asian SD are good at the, the sport with the weight class and also ah. with the fine motor skill. So this kind of sport are very suitable for the Taiwanese athlete. For example, the weightlifting and taekwondo uh, are weight-based sports. And other sports like uh, karate, 
judo and uh, boxing are also similar. The other one is the sports with fine motor skill like uh, archery or shooting. And for badminton and table tennis and the golf are similar to this kind of sports. So these kind of sports are very good for Taiwanese to develop. Uh, I, I think the only new sports in Olympic uh, is the gymnastic this time. Gymnastics uh, perform very well uh, in this Olympic. Uh, the reason is that there's a movie called Jump Boys. Right. In I think it's in 2005. Uh, since that movie, uh, many young students try to uh, practice gymnastics. And so we can recruit many good uh, athletes and coaches to join us the gymnastics team. Oh, so we're strong for our more petite bodies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also fine motor skills. Why do you think that yeah. we're good at sports with fine motor skills? Uh, fine motor skills need uh, a lot of practice. Our athletes are uh, working so hard, so they can practice their skill in many details, so they can perform well during the competition. What are some up-and-coming sports that you expect us to perform very well in the next Olympics? Uh, I, I think the, those sports with medals uh, this year should be good in the next Olympics. And also track and field. Really? And the swimming. Which ones? Yeah, we can see swimming. many young athletes uh, this year. For example, the swimmer and also the table tennis player. They are very young, so they have many years to train for the next Olympics. Thank you so much, Professor Shang Zuyuan. I've been speaking with Professor Shang of National Taiwan Normal University. He is the Director of Sports Science for Team Taiwan. Thank you for all that you've done for, for Taiwan. We're so proud. Thank you. Sure. I'm also proud to, to be one of the team. Welcome to our brain game. Today we're playing a game called Team Taiwan Trivia. And we have Stash Butler on buzzer number one. Yeah, good to be here. And Leslie Day on buzzer number two. I love your mask, Leslie. Yo, That's go Team Taiwan, Olympic theme, really Olympic awesome. mask. That's what you get. That's <laughs> awesome. So you guys are going to be answering some questions about our medalists. We have a lot of medalists. Very exciting. And you guys are going to ask, answer some questions. You guys ready? I don't know, man. I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly got really apprehensive about this. <laughs> We've been reporting on the we Olympics. Have. There's no reason why we shouldn't get this, but at the same time... Oh, you're really setting us up for failure. I'm jinxing <laughs> us. <laughs> you are. Okay, so um, let's take a look at our first medalist, Wen Ziyun. She is a bronze medalist in karate. Now, what important question did her coach ask her before they went to Tokyo? Ooh, what important question did you... And uh, let's take a look at the picture of her. It's like a coach. vegetarian meal on your <laughs> flight. Okay, look Aww. at the two of them there after Aww. her win and then, you know, in daily life. Do you have a guess? Uh, what did her coach say? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, is it, do, do you want to marry me? Yes! Yeah! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're getting married. Uh, Isn't that that's wonderful? Than that's better than that's better than I was like, wow, she's getting really vegetarian. close to her coach there. I mean, like. That seems like they've crossed a bit of a deduction. <laughs> yeah, that was good like, oh, deduction. <laughs> very, very I, bravo. They well call played. me Sherlock. <laughs> okay, the second question is about our big star, Guo Xingchun. Yeah. And she not only um, broke or set three new Olympic records, she actually has the world record, which is higher than that, um, in the women's 59 kilograms um, division. Now, I want you guys to tell me what her world record is for the snatch. Uh, Take this, a wild guess. Uh, 
Wait, is that is that one? Because it wasn't the one that she had the record for. Is like three lifts. But it's combined. It's so two so two so lifts. Two lifts combined. So two do lifts the thing. Combined. Do the math because I've done the math before. The math. Oh, is I know the more. She can lift three of me. Three of I've you. I've done the math. She can lift three okay, of me. One hundred twenty-six kilograms. Okay, let's take a look. It's a hundred and ten oh, kilograms. Oh. Yeah. It's still a lot. That is right. Yeah. Could you could you do that? I could not do I that. I couldn't do that. <laughs> no. No. Okay. <laughs> What about the clean and jerk? Oh, so that's, that's one. That's lift. another one. That's another lift, and then they combine. The them. clean and jerk. Wait, that was the snatch. What's the clean? And, how how is clean and jerk? What's uh, the difference? But, 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 the, the snatch is the, the clean and jerk, jerk is, is like you, you put it clean up and, and, like you, and then you lift it up, and the snatch is when you just, just one full up. motion. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one full motion. I think so. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so imagine you can lift more on that. So she's one hundred and ten. So I'm going to say uh, 125. Okay, a little higher than that. I want to say 137. That's right, Leslie. Oh, you either. Because I remember her her world record was 247. That's I right. I think. That's right. I think. Oh. And then the I just subtracted 110 from that. Can you imagine lifting that much weight as a woman? I mean, it's That's three amazing. Of me. I mean, that's three um, of me. Well. <laughs> okay, so our next question is about Li Zakai, who was our civil, silver medalist in gymnastics. He got it in the pommel horse. And he said he had to put something out of his mind before he went to the Tokyo Olympics. What was that something? Yes. Going on e economy class seats. <laughs> but no. that was before they went. That's though. not even that. Oh, he didn't even know, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, no, he went in the second. He went later. Was he in the he, second? Did he go on the first flight? I don't know. I thought oh, he so went like the second flight. It's nothing about his flight. Oh, okay, okay, it's nothing about what he had to put out of his mind. Um... I don't know. I uh, used up mine. Yeah, I, I'm I, I have no idea. Okay. His, his hunger. His he hunger. Really, he's just really hungry. <laughs> his appetite. Yeah, his appetite. So actually, he fell from the horse in Rio. Oh. In, in the last Olympics. And actually, the week before he won his silver medal, he also fell from the horse. Oh. So that just shows you if you fall down, get up again, get right? Get right back up on that horse. That's right. So he, he, we're really proud of him. I mean, silver is amazing. Now, Huang Xiaowen, we know our first boxer to yep. get a medal at the Olympics. She got a bronze. She has a lot of tattoos. Let's take a look. Now, why does she have so many tattoos? Do you guys know? <laughs> I know. Okay. okay. I mean, I, I have no idea. Because she likes tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> Her dad's a tattoo artist. That's right. Oh, no way. Her dad's cool? a tattoo artist. Wow. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, that in makes that sense, case, right? Yeah. <laughs> I hope she gets a good rate from him. So yeah. She has one in Taiwan. It's a really nice tattoo. All right, so this is a really uh, amazing uh, fun fact as well. Um, which Olympian, out of all the Olympians um, during the Olympics at the Tokyo Olympics, got the most Facebook likes for one post oh. from Taiwan? Was it the um, uh, Yang, some, the, 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 the judo man? No, I mean, oh, he's, he's well-loved. Yeah, yeah, I think he got the most followers, but he, the most, oh. yeah. the, I think the post that got the most is Tai Zing. Really? You're right! Yeah. And look, for you're wearing badminton. her um, something to... Oh, this is for the other long yeah, This is a badminton So actually, yeah. So actually it is. It's Tai um, Zing. She got it. She lost actually the final. She got a silver. And she wrote about how she felt. She got 1.36 million likes for wow. that post. Wow. The most of any of the Olympians. And what about the second most liked post? The second also most from liked. Taiwan. Also from Taiwan. Like out of all the Olympians? Yeah. Isn't it amazing? The first two are from uh. Taiwan. So people in Taiwan are really supportive of our athletes. Uh. We just love them to death. 
I guess it would you're have to be the badminton duo, you're exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, Wang Qiling. Uh, yeah, Wang Qiling and uh, Li Yang. It was his post about oh, that match. I didn't realize people he were so into He got over a million badminton. likes. Yeah. Well, I think it's because Taiwaners are so excited, you know, about yeah. our team, and we want to support them, whether they win or lose. I will we say this, Dash, badminton, deceptively exciting. I never watched I it before I mean, the Olympics. I mean, I'm not doubting it. never I'm watched it before the Olympics, but, like, it got my heart rate up it's so watching fast. it. It's so fast. They do it. They it's play furious. Crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and we're good at it, right? So, um, anyways, help. that is our trivia game for the day. Did you guys have fun? Yeah. You did all right. Yeah. There was a lot there I didn't well. know, but I'm happy you got Leslie beside me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know that I was going to do this well, so uh, I'm just as glad as you are. Yeah. All right, and that is our brain game. Hope you had fun. And before we leave you, here's a look at some of the other stories that are on our radar. Taiwan has denied emergency use authorization to a homegrown COVID-19 vaccine developed by UBI Asia. The company plans to issue an appeal, saying that the review board should not have relied on neutralizing antibody levels to assess the vaccine. UBI Asia's hopes of getting emergency use authorization now depend on raising its vaccine's neutralizing antibody level while it carries out phase 3 clinical trials in India. Taiwan's elementary and middle schools are set to return to in-person classes on September 1st. To allay fears that schools could become COVID hotspots, administrators have put new rules in place. Students will eat at their desks behind protective barriers with no talking allowed. Group sports are also out, with solitary exercises like jumping rope set to take their place. Teachers who haven't been able to get their vaccines will have to take regular PCR tests as well. An endangered leopard cat suffering from injuries has been diagnosed, and it's all thanks to, wait for it, a CAT scan. Stumped wildlife experts with only an x-ray machine on hand called for backup from a local hospital for a CT scanner. The cat is now one step closer to recovery and returning to the wild. And if you've ever just wanted to swing out into the abyss, Elon County has you covered. The latest local attraction is a swing that lets tourists fly out over a steep drop and the rough seas below. <laughs> oh, 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 oh my goodness. Um, yeah, uh, final question of the day. If you could be the best at a game or a sport, what game or sport would it be? Let's start with Natalie. Oh, I think it would be so wonderful to be a figure skater. Oh. I mean, it's one of the most graceful, elegant sports there are. So wonderful to watch. Are you good at ice skating? Not really. I mean, that's why I wish, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, it terrifies me. I, I did learn ice that skating really so fun. for two years when I was like little. I knew really? I knew some people back at school where the brother, the older brother, was a champion figure skater, really? and the younger brother was a champion chess, like a chess. Oh champion. wow! What a yeah. family! I know. <laughs> I know. I was like, where did they choose those two particular? Anyway, uh, all right, Stasha, what's your? Okay, mine question? is poker. Oh, poker! Uh, Ooh, I mean, you'd win a lot of money that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could earn you a living. You probably don't need to work, right? I think everyone kind of so, at some point in their lives dreams of being James Bond. So you know, I just felt like I could be that kind of suave, <laughs> you know, inscrutable. You kind are of. suave. I, I have seen <laughs> Royale. So, yeah. That's actually smart stuff. That'd be great. Yeah, way now to make you made me too. realize how dumb my answer is. <laughs> <laughs> because you can turn yours into money. Really? Yeah. Seriously? But I have just followed a trend and just said I would. Oh, Popcat, because. You probably are the number you one in Taiwan, number, yeah, right? You're probably uh, ranking somewhere. Right? Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I might have my own like entry on the leaderboard, but yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna say Popcat because we're number one. We gotta stay number yeah. one, 
and uh, I will be sure to be do my part as a Taiwanese <laughs> person. Anyway, that's it uh, for this edition of Taiwan Insider. We do hope you enjoyed our show. I'm Leslie Liao. I'm Stash Butler. And I am Natalie So. Please do follow us on social media. That's right. You can follow us on Facebook, like us on YouTube. Uh, and you can also tweet at us. Our handle is Taiwan Insider. And until next week, guys, keep playing PopCat. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. The world has been watching as the U.S. withdrew its forces from Afghanistan this week. Now, this has led to some anxiety in Taiwan. Taiwan and China relations have been very tense, with a lot of military maneuvers by China near Taiwan. And Chinese state media tried to exploit the situation in Afghanistan, with media reports saying that Taiwan cannot rely on the United States, just as Afghanistan cannot rely on the U.S. And Chinese state media haven't been the only ones reporting on it. The BBC has a report entitled "Today Afghanistan, Tomorrow Taiwan." So, needless to say, there's been much talk in Taiwan and around the world about if the U.S. can be a reliable partner for Taiwan to help Taiwan defend itself, especially in the face of an increasingly belligerent China. Well, today I speak with Professor Hal Brands of Johns Hopkins University. He is a distinguished professor of global affairs and often writes about Taiwan. I spoke with him and asked him if Taiwan should be anxious and nervous as it watches the U.S. leave Afghanistan. I think it's natural to worry after something like has happened in Afghanistan, and in part because. Uh, Taiwan's place in the U.S. security architecture is a little bit ambiguous, and the American commitment to Taiwan is itself ambiguous. But what I would say is that I think context is very important here. And so, any time the United States suffers a defeat like this, it's natural for allies to question whether uh, American commitments remain intact. But I, I think it's worth bearing in mind that one of the reasons the Biden administration was keen on getting out of Afghanistan was to pay more attention to security challenges in the Western Pacific, and specifically to pay more attention to the security challenges that Taiwan faces. the The Taiwan issue has really moved to the center of American foreign policy and American defense planning, and so I don't think there's uh, grounds to worry that the withdrawal from Afghanistan will weaken the U.S. commitment to Taiwan over the long term. So, how would you compare um, the two? Different situations, because that's what people are thinking. If the U.S. isn't reliable in this foreign country, would it be reliable in Taiwan? What are the differences of the two different situations? So it's it's interesting and perhaps useful to think about the parallel to Vietnam in the 1970s. And so the United States uh, pulled out of Vietnam under somewhat similar circumstances. It was a long, relatively unpopular. War that most of Washington did not believe was winnable in a military sense, and that that obviously set off a good deal of consternation among American allies, particularly in Southeast Asia. But the United States 
didn't, for instance, abrogate its commitments to NATO. It didn't abrogate its treaty alliances uh, in the Pacific as a result of the withdrawal from Vietnam. It withdrew from Vietnam in part so that it could refocus on issues that were more important. And so I think that's the critical distinction to draw here, that the Biden administration, rightly or wrongly, has decided that uh, in, in, uh, in, in continuing a long-term American military presence in Afghanistan is not in the U.S. national interest. Now, there's a lot of debate over whether that's the correct judgment or not, but it has not made a determination that it's walking away from U.S. security commitments elsewhere. And, and so the question is, where does it think those commitments are most important? And the answer is in the Western Pacific. And so in, until one sees evidence to suggest that the United States is weakening its commitments uh, to Taiwan and, and other countries in the Western Pacific, I, I wouldn't worry too much about that scenario. And what do you think about the Biden policy towards Taiwan so far from what you've seen since he's been in office? The Biden policy toward Taiwan has largely been a continuation of the Trump policy toward Taiwan, which really consists of two related things. And the first is to increasingly put Taiwan at the center of American defense planning. And, and so to, to push the Department of Defense to think very seriously about how it would come to Taiwan's aid if Taiwan were attacked, given the critical role that Taiwan plays in the first island chain in the Western Pacific. The second way is basically gradually expanding the diplomatic and economic relationship with Taiwan, whether by making it somewhat easier to do high-level visits back and forth, uh, undertaking negotiations to do a potential free trade agreement, or otherwise moving slowly, gradually, but surely in the direction of a somewhat more normal relationship, a normal diplomatic relationship between the United States and Taiwan. That is Distinguished Professor of Global Affairs, Hal Brands of Johns Hopkins University. It is good to see him be very positive about the U.S. commitment towards Taiwan. Next, we talk about how Taiwan and the U.S. and the world can deter China from attacking Taiwan. <laughs> The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 
at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. You're listening to Taiwan Today, and I am Natalie So. Today, I'm speaking with a distinguished professor of global affairs from Johns Hopkins University, Professor Hal Brands, about if Taiwan should worry about the U.S. not supporting Taiwan when it needs it, just as the world watches U.S. forces pull out of Afghanistan. Well, Taiwan faces a very tense situation in its relations with China. In fact, there were live-fire military exercises by China near southern Taiwan just this week. Let's take a look at this report. On August 17th, 11 Chinese Air Force planes entered Taiwan's air defense identification zone. That was the largest Chinese incursion into the zone in August. Taiwan's Air Force dispatched its own jets to intercept the Chinese planes, while surface-to-air missiles on the ground monitored the situation. China's Eastern Theater Command said on social media that the maneuvers were part of military exercises to maintain stability in the Taiwan Strait. It said it was responding to, quote, Taiwanese separatist provocations. The very next day, the Taiwan Air Force reportedly spotted another Chinese plane in Taiwan's ADIZ. Defense Ministry spokesperson Si Sunwen said that the Air Force had its eyes on the situation and was ready to respond as needed. Associate Research Fellow at the Institute for National Defense and Security Research, Su Ziyun, says that Taiwan's recently warming ties with other nations have left China feeling snubbed, and that's why it's ramping up its presence in the region. In response, Taiwan's top China policymaking body, the Mainland Affairs Council, urged China to stop its aggressive behavior. It says that Taiwan cannot be strong-armed into compliance. So China is obviously not happy about U.S. support for Taiwan. And it often shows its displeasure through increased military maneuvers near Taiwan. That is cause for anxiety for us here in Taiwan. I asked Professor Brands if he thinks China might attack Taiwan within a few years. I can't say with certainty whether that's something that China would try, although I think that the temptation to try uh, some sort of coercive campaign, perhaps even uh, an invasion of Taiwan, is growing for the Chinese regime as their military capabilities improve and as they worry that peaceful means of bringing about unification will, will not suffice. Uh, what I can say with certainty is that the greatest deterrent to a Chinese invasion would be the seriousness with which Taiwan is being seen to prepare for that eventuality. And so I think that Taiwan, Taiwan's government and Taiwan's population mm -hmm. should treat the invasion threat as, as very real because by working to, to meet that threat and to strengthen Taiwan's defenses, it will give Xi Jinping greater, uh, greater reason to pause and think twice about trying such an invasion. And what about the U.S.? What do you think the U.S. can do to help deter China from attacking Taiwan? I think what the United States can do is basically focus on the capabilities and, and concepts that it will need to project power effectively into the Western Pacific. And so there are a variety of, of things that can be done there, everything um, from making it more difficult for China to project power far from its shores uh, to thinking about how American forces can operate in more contested environments in the Western Pacific, which is what they would have to do in a Taiwan scenario. The other thing the United States can do, and, and is in fact doing, is trying to broaden the coalition of states that China would have to face if it did use force against Taiwan. And so thinking about 
how uh, Japan perhaps could cooperate with the United States and Taiwan to defend the island, or thinking about uh, the role that countries like the United Kingdom and France and Australia might play in uh, trying to deter and, if necessary, meeting a Chinese assault. I think the bigger the coalition that China has to face becomes, the more daunting the prospect becomes for Beijing. That is Professor Hal Brands, a distinguished professor of global affairs at Johns Hopkins University, telling us that the U.S. is working with its allies to try to deter China from attacking Taiwan. We've actually seen this in many recent meetings, such as the Group of Seven and many statements coming out of Japan have shown much concern for maintaining peace across the Taiwan Strait. Just this week, we also saw some reassurance from Washington. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said Washington's commitment to Taiwan is as strong as it has ever been. Now, due to the anxiety and the discussion here in Taiwan about the U.S. pullout from Afghanistan, President Tsai Ing-wen also responded to people's doubts. On Facebook, she said that Taiwan should work towards greater strength, unity, and resolve when it comes to defending itself. So it looks like many important players from our president to top officials in Washington and academics are all saying that Taiwan should not be anxious about the U.S. pullout from Afghanistan. That was the hot topic and sentiment in Taiwan this week. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. COVID-19 pandemic has made it hard to travel, so RTI wants to bring the world to our airwaves. RTI is holding a contest called Sounds That Move, Travel with Sound Postcards. Just record a sound that moves, such as a car or train station announcements, give a written description and photos. You may be able to win a cash prize. Submit your entry in August or September. For more information, visit our website at en.rti.org.tw. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. For all your science and tech news, it's Stash Butler with The Download. Welcome to The Download, a brand new show from Radio Taiwan International covering all the latest developments in science and technology. I'm your host, Stash Butler, and I'll be taking you through everything you need to know. 
Today, I continue my conversation with Sahana Shankar, a PhD student in molecular biology at Academia Sinica. She tells me why scientists need to take more responsibility for communicating their work and how we might prevent vaccine hesitancy. All that coming up on The Download. I asked Sahana why she thinks the onus is on journalists and scientists to keep the public informed. Because we do have access to a lot of first-hand information and we know that something that's playing out in the news is absolutely uh, false. So in that case, it's imperative of us to, you know, set the record straight. So I wouldn't um, expect lay people, when I say lay people, I just mean people who do not have a background in science or who might have a very basic background, but are not up to date with everyday um, ongoing stuff because research is developing so, so quickly. Um, So maybe we need a a more uh, structured um, public outreach, public communications program. Uh, So this could happen with research universities themselves because they are the ones who are publishing peer-reviewed research very, very frequently. So maybe they can. I think some of the uh, journals do that now that um, along with the scientific abstract of a paper, they do uh, publish a, a general abstract that is for everybody to read. But then it's not very accessible to most people. Like why would anybody just go to the website of Nature or Cell and uh, read the you know abstract so maybe you need to make it more uh, mainstream and have it in formats that are easy to consume you know maybe like a short video or a, a, i don't know TikTok or something like that so that's uh, so that science becomes more and more accessible and more and more approachable for people because every time you uh, speak to somebody and when they hear that you're a scientist so like they feel like you're doing something that's so out of the ordinary out of Um, their world but that's not the case you're working on real problems you're trying to solve uh, problems in the society so that's why it is uh, hopefully paid by the taxpayer because we are uh, you know doing work that is uh, directly um, uh, important to them so I think if we paid the same amount of attention to disseminating that information as well that would be good Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think just, you know, even just looking at one side of it, like the problem of kind of jargon, I'm kind of in two minds with jargon because, you know, one part of me is like, oh, it's just making things hard for people to understand. But the other part is that jargon in in science and in other fields as well is really useful in terms of condensing, you know, say a phrase that would take 10 words, condensing that down to one word. So you don't have to use those 10 words every time you explain something that is relevant to other people in your field. Um, I mean, you know what I mean? But the caveat is that the other person that you're speaking with also knows what those 10 words are. And most uh, often I've seen that when you're uh, speaking in jargon, the other person will for sure misunderstand it for something that it is not. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, there's a public intellectual, Steven Pinker uh, in America. and He he writes a lot about writing um, and he has a specific kind of gripe with academics and sort of scientists, I guess, uh, as well, that they use so much jargon and the language is so convoluted that it's almost like they're trying to actually hide the point that they're trying to make. I mean, do, do you agree with that? Um, um, no, for, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know in what context Steven Pinker said that, but um, I do feel that 
uh, scientists are very, very conservative when they come to uh, explaining their research. And when it goes out to the press, it is almost always sensationalized to the point where the actual message is just, um, you know, lost. So one uh, part of it is that, of course, scientists always try to play safe and they're very conservative. They only stick to what the facts are saying. But I think they also need to be a slightly bit more um, affirmative in saying that, of course, this is what the data suggests, but this is probably what the trend is going to be and not let uh, imaginations go haywire. So that's one thing. And the other thing is also that um, in, in the press, a lot of things go out of proportion. Uh, like, I mean, it's not the fault of any journalist or anything per se. It's just that somehow the wordings um, are in such a way that, okay, there is a possible target for uh, obesity gene. And it comes out as, oh, we found a cure for obesity. So they're always not, um, uh, you know, linked together. So that's where I, I think that it's important that scientists do the communication themselves. Uh, that's not to say that every scientist who's publishing a paper should be communicating. That would be the ideal situation. But I think people who do have training in the scientific world uh, know what the checks and balances are, what are the controls, what is the possible, um, you know, extrapolation that you can do with this set of data. Uh, and then you kind of contextualize it to the public and say that this is the um, you know, general uh, layout in which the study was done. And this is as far as we can go with the possibilities of it. So I think that is where we, I personally find that there is a little bit of um, gap. Like if you were to uh, read uh, Ed Yong's uh, coverage of the pandemic, you see that he does lots of extensive work, but maybe it's not very uh, accessible to everybody, right? Not, not everybody would uh, read through such brilliant work that he does so maybe it's we need to um you know package it in a way that is more accessible to the public and is that the solution to i mean for example most starkly in america you see this kind of disavowal of science this i don't believe in science kind of position and obviously this pandemic is an exceptional time but you know we're seeing a lot of people losing trust or who in recent years have lost trust in scientific institutions is better communication the way to win that back yes i think so because uh, as an example when the vaccines rolled out here um i went around asking everybody that i knew were you going to get the vaccine and most of the people would tell me no and i would then sit down and say okay why why not and then they would come up with their list of reasons you know um some people were not uh, very sure of what the side effects were some people i mean some people did have credible um uh, excuses like somebody wanted to get pregnant and they said i don't know how this is going to affect my pregnancy so i'm going to wait it out which made sense but for some pe other people who are clearly at a high risk uh, category um, they couldn't convince me like why they wouldn't get a vaccine. So I just sat them down and told them that these are the things that, uh, you know, have gone into the making of the vaccine. These are the clinical trial data. This is how it compares with a possible TB data, um, TB vaccine or other vaccines that you've had in the past. And would you still not, um, you know, consider getting one? And I don't know if I was very successful because maybe I didn't want to badger people as well, but uh, they did come around. They, they, they were uh, considering it. They might not have changed their minds, but at least they were open to um, the fact that, you know, these uh, 
you know, checks and balances were in place. So maybe I will think about it. So I think that's already a good starting point. So just I think if you hammer down a point too much, it also becomes very, uh, you know, um, defensive for the other person to say, oh, no, I don't want to do it at all. But if you uh, try and understand where they are coming from and what are their um, grievances and you kind of address them point by point, uh, I think most of the people do kind do tend to be receptive. That was Sahana Shankar of Academia Sinica, Taiwan's premier research institute, telling me how better communication and listening to people's concerns are the best ways to fight anti-science beliefs. And that's all we have time for this week. Now let me know what you want to learn more about. You can reach me by email on stash.butler at rci.org.taiwan or message my Facebook page. Anyway, I'll be back next week with a brand new episode of The Download. That's more than twice than ever before. Can you tell us why uh, Team Taiwan performed so well this time? I think the major re reason is that uh, government support many facilities for the training center. And also after 2017, the Taipei World University Games, this society in Taiwan recognized the value of sports. So the, all the athletes and the coaches, they are willing to train and uh, train harder than ever. So that's why uh, the uh, performance in this year, Tokyo Olympic, is much better than previous games. So I did see some footage of how AI is helping the female weightlifters. How much of an edge do you think that technology plays in competition? We use the AI to try to record the movement of the weightlifter. Also, we can attract their uh, trajectory of the barbell, so we know their movement is stable or not. So uh, during a training session, we can record every lift the athlete performs. So Guo Xingchun uh, was quite amazing. She broke three Olympic records. Did you expect yeah. her to do that? Yes. Or was uh, it a surprise uh, to you? Guo Xingchun uh, is truly the, the gold medalist for sure. You were expecting her to get a gold? Yeah, yeah. Everybody expects that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, her own personal record is, is uh, better than the Olympic record, right? Well, you know, we're so proud of all the athletes, and we've won in so many new sports. There's six new sports that we medaled in. Why do you think Taiwan was able to branch out and excel in all these new sports? We have judo and, and golf and, you know, all, all these different sports. Those sports are not new sports in Taiwan. Uh, you know, in, uh, compared with the Western country, uh, the Asian SD are good at the, the sport with the weight class and also ah. with the fine motor skill. So this kind of sport are very suitable for the Taiwanese SD. For example, the weightlifting and taekwondo. 
uh, are weight case sports. And other sports like uh, karate, judo, and uh, boxing are also similar. The other one is the sports with fine motor skill like uh, archery or shooting. And for badminton and table tennis and the golf are similar to this kind of sports. So these kind of sports are very good for Taiwanese to develop. And also fine motor skills. Why do you think that yeah. we're good at sports with fine motor skills? Uh, fine motor skills need uh, a lot of practice. Our athletes are uh, working so hard, so they can practice their skill in many details, so they can perform well during the competition. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.